Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Davis, and this is episode five of season six. And yes, to answer the obvious question, I do still have a Lurgy. It's not the Lurgy, not the Lurgy we all think it is. I've done enough tests to confirm that it is not. But my head is still full of something that you can almost certainly hear in your ears now as I talk. So I really apologise for that. But the show must go on. It just might stop every now and again to cough or blow its nose. Our show is full of advice today. And we start with Trevor Scott from RFK and Sophia Sharalambas from Origins Living, as they are two of our business judges in the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. And why are we talking to them now? It's because... Entries close on this coming Thursday. That's November the 17th at 5pm. There will be no extensions. It's called a closing date for a reason. So if you're there now, beavering away on your entry, you'll surely want to hear some insight from the very people who might be reading it. What are they looking for? What do most entries not do enough of? And why is Waffle your biggest enemy? Then, in a total change of gear, I'm talking mortgages and the housing market with friend of the show, Ian Swatton, from mortgage tracking and comparison site Dashley. What happens to that market is, of course, directly linked to kitchens and bathrooms. And with everything that's happened in the last few months, I definitely need a bit of expert help to get my head around it. But first, did I mention that entries are closing for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023 on this coming Thursday, November the 17th? I'm pretty sure I did. It's totally free to enter, and all the info you need is at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. And we really aren't going to extend it, I promise you, there's no point asking. So that's kbbreview.com forward slash awards, and it closes at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th. So as promised, let's catch up with a couple of our business judges for some last-minute tips. We have Trevor Scott from RFK in the Midlands. Hello, Trevor. Good morning. How are you doing, Andy? I'm very well, thank you. And we have Sophia Sharon-Lambus from Origins Living in Essex. Hello, Sophia. Good morning, Andrew. So let me just quickly recap the judging process to give us some context here. We're looking at the Retailer of the Year, the Showroom of the Year, and the New Retailer of the Year categories. And there's obviously a kitchen and bathroom version of each, so it's six categories in total. And people send their entries in via the website, and the judges then independently score those entries against a list of criteria. And that list is different for each category. I add up all the scores, and that gives us the top four in each category. So each of those four finalists in each category then get the visit in person by one of the judges. And from that second stage, the winners are chosen. So it's very comprehensive, pretty straightforward, I think. So, Sophia, let's start with you, because you've been one of our judges for a few years now. So let's kick it off with the question that anyone still putting their entry together will want to know. What are you looking for when you see those entries for the first time? What are the things that jump out at you? I want them to articulate exactly what was, as a new bathroom retailer, what is it that they're doing? Why are they different? Most importantly, what value are they adding to having a showroom for the customer? Because ultimately, it'll be the, the customer who is the winner. And that, for me, is the value. I don't want fluff. I don't need lots and lots of paragraphs. I just need it succinct. What are you doing? What was the basis? Have you got a plan for this how are you going to execute it it's not about fancy words yeah we we have that a lot don't we i think people feel they need to write an essay 
And I think that sometimes the writing of the essay is what puts people off entering because they think, well, I haven't written an essay since I was at school. But actually, you've got to think sometimes that judges have got so many entries to go through that what they want is a really succinct bullet points, the facts and the figures, the idea, the plan, as you as you put it. I think that's a big part of it is like break it down. Imagine you're a judge and what would you want to hear and read about for a business? Yeah, I, I don't want fan, uh, fancy words and long sentences. Just get to, straight to the point. This is what we're doing. This was the thinking about about the displays, the layout, how they do the marketing. And most importantly, and I always say this, is not about how much you've spent in the showroom. It's about what you've done with the investment that you've put in. So whether you've spent 50,000 or 250,000, that's not going to sway the judges. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a beauty contest. It is a holistic look at the whole business and it's not about how much you've spent. Well, we'll revisit that in a minute, I think. But how about you, Trevor? You did this for the first time last year. You're back for 2023. What are you looking for in that first look of entries? Well, quite interesting because uh, Sophia has uh, said bullet point, bullet point, keep it concise, keep it precise, all of which I agree with. But funnily enough, all four of um, our top uh, entries last year did actually um, post quite lengthy entries. It's about detail, really. If you don't provide me with enough information to get a picture of what your business is about, then you're already at the bottom of the pile. So whilst on the one hand, I do agree with you, Sophia, on the other hand, I do think we need meat on the bones in order to uh, be able to paint a, a full picture of an applicant's business because we've got a lot to look at. So they do need to be concise and they do need to be precise. But equally, we need to have enough information to make sure that the full picture of your business is being painted. Oh, no, I agree. I, I agree with you, Trevor. I think sometimes there's just far too much waffle and detail to the point we don't need to know that detail. We just need to know enough. I agree with totally, Sophia. The bullet points work really well for me. Uh, but I don't mind if there's uh, two bullet points or 15 bullet points, as long as they are clear and precise in what they're trying to put over. I suppose it's about making every word count, isn't it? And if you do put the information in there, make sure it is useful, pertinent, relevant. And it's not just, as you say, Sophia, filling up the space for the sake of filling up the space with words. As Roxette put it, don't bore us, get to the chorus, right? <laughs> so is there anything, Sophia, that you wish you'd seen more of? Is there anything that you, you go through these entries and you think, oh, I wish they'd just do more of that. I wish they'd include a bit on this. Absolutely. I think for me, and especially the background I come from, there is not enough about the marketing. It's all about the product, the, the displays, but there is not enough about how they're going to attract their target customer into the showroom. And I would like to see, I'd like them to put more effort into that. Right, so part of the planning and strategy, because you, you've judged the new retail, the new bathroom retail the year. And so what you're saying here is, look, it's a new business. I want to know how you're going to get customers in there. It's a pretty obvious part of the plan if you're starting a new, a new business. Even if you're an experienced retailer opening up a separate business, which sometimes is the case, it's a pretty fundamental part, isn't it? Is how are you going to get those customers through the door? Yes. And another point as well that I don't see enough of is how do they train their team? There is not enough about there. And I know I said to Trevor, keep it concise, but there's no focus on the training because your your team are your ambassadors. They are the ones that are going to bring the business in. Okay, Yes, the marketing's going to bring it in, but once they come in, how are you going to make sure you convert them? And are they trained? Yeah, I mean, training's absolutely key. Quite agree. It's something that the industry has been banging on about quite a lot over the last few years to varying degrees of success. 
but without doubt, demonstrating that as a business, you've got training front and foremost in your thinking when it comes to um, staff development is absolutely key to me. Your business is nothing without its people, is it? I mean, Trevor, you you did the kitchen retail of the year last year, didn't you? That was the one you were mainly looking at. Yes. They're very established businesses, very successful businesses, obviously. But is there anything in there, you know, that you, you're also thinking, oh, why do they leave that out? One of the things I wanted to get across anyway at this stage in the process where you've still got a few days left to get entries in, is you've got to be in it to win it, Andy. If you don't enter, then you're never going to win an award. I can't express strongly enough how important and significant winning one of these awards is to a business in this industry. We're fortunate enough to have one of them, just the one. It sits loud and proud, front and foremost, in our uh, trophy cabinet. And uh, we'd love to win another one. And, and I think from a marketing point of view, and this is where I agree absolutely with Sophia, painting a picture for us of what you do to market your business is incredibly significant. And um, you know, winning an award and having an award in your cabinet and using the fact that you've won an award within your marketing is also very important. So so nobody should dismiss the importance of winning one of these trophies. I mean, Sophia made a very good point, didn't she, as well, that you're not looking for who's got the most money, who's got the biggest showroom, who's absolutely, who's got the most staff. That's not part of the criteria at all, is it? No, not at all. Last year, I was looking at businesses that varied in size from under a million pound a year turnover to in excess of uh, 30 million turnover. So it's a very, very broad scope. In the top four, two of them were pretty significant players when it came to turnover levels and two of them weren't particularly. The level of turnover was irrelevant. It was the quality of the entry and the quality of the business and what they were doing as a business to um, raise their profile, maintain a good balance within their business, win and retain customers and have a really good business that, uh, that holistically worked well for everybody. The consumer, the staff, the suppliers loved you the lot. My little catchphrase that I bore people with all the time, and that is, it, this is all about judging what you've done with what you've got. And I think that is the message to hammer home all the time. Now, let's talk a little bit about those face-to-face visits because, you know, they're a big commitment. And I'm always so grateful for the time and effort the judges put in because they are from the north of Scotland to the, you know, the tip of Cornwall. But look, Sophia, why do you think it's important to have that stage? What do you learn that you can't see in a written entry? Well, so everything's written in the entry and then you turn up at the showroom. And for me, I have a look at it intuitively as well. It's the nuances that you pick up that you can't pick up in the writing and also sometimes they want to expand on it in the actual visit so for me it's crucial to have that visit despite you know planes trains and automobiles and a lot of the times I've picked up a lot more once I've been at that showroom I've been in a position where you look at the four finalists and with their written entry you're not quite sure because they're both equal they're both really good but once you've got to the showroom and you've met everyone and you've seen the place then you think yes they have something extra that the other one doesn't. And I look at things that they wouldn't think I'm looking at. I don't want to give away my secrets, but it's very intuitive. (laughs) Getting the application right in the first instance is is what drives us to the point where we have a shortlist that we then go and visit. And of course, as part of the process of making the application, you've got to paint the picture for us that gives us an impression of what your business is like. So that when we do go and visit the final four, we've already got a fairly good idea of what to expect. And it's those nuances and the surprises, and as Sophia says, the additions to the initial message that, that we get from making the, uh, the face-to-face visit, 
that eventually leads us to being able to um, you know find find a winner. And the the effort that goes into it, you know, you know, I mean, I've thought about you, Sophia, but that's four days of my life I'm never going to get back, and I'm looking forward to another another four days of it again later this year. Um, Trevor, did did you hear what happened to me this year? No, no. I spent eight hours on the Black Hall Tunnel coming back from a visit. Oh, no. In the same spot. And I thought, I must be really committed. <laughs> you know what? I absolutely, lo- I absolutely love it, getting on the planes, the trains, driving there. Sometimes, though, I hope I have one entry that's not too far from me where I can roll out of bed. But usually they are just at... At the far corners of the country. But as you say, it's a completely different experience. And I always think of it like the the judging of the entries is the cup run, and then the the visits is like the cup final. You know, you just don't know who's going to win on the day. And and I think a lot of the time, you know, when you see who the full finalists are, you think, well, they well they're going to win it. And then a lot of the time, it all moves around and all changes on that second stage. And that happens in the design categories too. As soon as it gets to the, the judges get a chance to ask questions, see things for themselves. And a lot of the time, they're looking and asking things that the retailer might not even have thought about before, but you're very impressed with. But they just do it without even thinking. It's little things like that, I think, that really come out in that second stage. Yes, it is. And it's little things they say that are not part of the question that sometimes you pick up and you think, oh, I really like that. You know, that's really clever. And you wouldn't have even thought about putting that in the entry. It might be just something, like you say, so small. Certainly my experience last year was that I'm sure we're all the same in the sense that we, we start off initially by point scoring um, all of the, uh, the applicants. And that, that's where we arrive at the final four. And of course, at that point, you've got you know, maybe a favourite or you've maybe got two that are very close to each other in points and, and it's the, the final visit that's going to swing it. And, and certainly, I mean, in my case last year, the, the, the visits definitely swung it in favour of the eventual winner. So I can't express enough how important that final visit is. But it's also really important to sort of stress, I suppose, that it's not an audit or anything, is it? You know, you are there to face value kind of uh, assessment, but it's just, it's just a chance for you to get to know the people, see things in person, as you see, see things that you might not have seen in a, in a written entry. Now, look, I was judging aside, because we've come to the end here, given everything else that's going on in the world, it would be remiss of me to not quickly just ask you how business is for you at the moment. Well, when I was speaking with all of the staff back end of last week, saying how are things, you know, the, the inquiry level is definitely lower, but it's, it's lower in the sense that it's no longer manically busy. We're now at a sensible level of inquiries that's manageable, it's still good quality work, and there's still plenty of it. But we, we haven't got piles of work building up on the desk where we're having to cherry pick which one to uh, look at next. So we're feeling fairly comfortable. Confident would perhaps be too strong a word, but I think we're feeling fairly comfortable that um, we're in control and we still have a reasonable year to look forward to. How about you, Sophia? How are your orders looking? I would say our orders are good and we are up. And But I think speaking to our clients across the country, it's very mixed. Some are very busy. Some are probably like uh, Trevor was saying, you know, they're getting really good quality leads, but it's not as manic. And we have others that are extremely quiet. We're in a fortunate position because we just supply around the whole country and we have a mix of businesses. So when some are up, the others are down. We learned from the 2008 recession. So we may not be confident. We're definitely comfortable and secure that we will ride anything that comes our way and you're both obviously keeping a very close eye on what's happening as well which is which is quite correct too look thank you both so much for your time today and of course all the time you put into the judging i 
do appreciate what commitment it is. Entries close on Thursday, November the 17th at 5pm. It's totally free to enter as always and you can find out all the info at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. Thank you both. Let's switch now to the housing and mortgage market and joining me down the line is friend of the show Ian Swatton from mortgage tracking and comparison site Dashley. Hello Ian. Hello Andrew, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. You can hear my cold obviously, but apart from that, I'm, I'm soldiering on. I'm soldiering on. Good. So look, right, I think we, we last spoke Ian, I think, Back in May, which is, it isn't that long ago, is it? Because it's still only November. But I think it's safe to say that a lot has happened since then in terms of people's finances, rates, house prices and everything else. So pretend, if you can, Ian, that I don't know an awful lot about it. I know it's hard. Mm-hmm. But can you sum up for us what's happened and what's going on in the market right now and what the biggest factors affecting it are? Of course I can. And gosh, May isn't that long ago, but it certainly does seem that way in terms of uh, the economy and, and, and the mortgage market. So what we've seen over the last uh, few months is the Bank of England raised uh, base rates. So we've now got the base rate at uh, 3% and that was a, a three-quarter percent increase. And there is sort of an expectation that interest rates will rise to sort of six, or there was an expectation that interest rates going to rise to 6 or 7%, although that for many economists is now likely to settle around the 5%. And we've also seen some economists saying, well, actually, um, we might be going too far because the UK is going into recession and all the sort of stuff that that brings. So, you know, the pressure on those interest rates. And what seems really likely a long time ago is back in May, we weren't talking about interest rates at that sort of level. So a lot gone in terms of the marketplace. Typically, what impact that's had is on mortgage rates increasing. What we've seen since May, I don't know how many prime ministers or chances we've had over that time. I've, I've lost count, actually. But we've certainly seen that pressure on the base rate has impacted on interest rates. And typically now, for a two or five-year rate, fixed rate, you're talking around the 5% mark that sort of level so which is quite a big increase from where it was uh, not so many months or so ago right so house prices moves mortgages big drivers for the new kitchen and bathroom market of course they go hand in hand so let's try and sort of unpick some of that and see how it might uh, affect people's money okay so house prices have dropped a bit haven't they but they're dropping obviously from a period of lots of growth over many months yes so house prices um yes they've, they've sort of peaked and they're now starting to, to dip down the general view is that house prices will go through some form of correction and um, what economists mean by correction is that they'll uh, come down and depending on who you're talking to depends on to what level they will come down but typically most sort of commentators are saying that prices will drop down down to around 2021 levels so levels of a couple of years or so ago now to put that into perspective Andrew, house prices over the last couple of years have risen exponentially they've really gone up at a pace coming out of covid etc so when we go back to 2021 levels even at that time house prices were high so the market is not factoring in a house price crash, but a correction down to 2021 levels. Right. So we don't need to panic too much about that for now. Correct. Fingers crossed. Right. Okay. okay fingers crossed. So we have the mini budget, the infamous mini budget, right? And if ever the uh, prefix mini uh, has ever been widely misused, it's probably <laughs> then. Because it had um, such a massive impact on everything and cleared out most of the cabinet as a result of it. So what's happened because of that? Because there was a huge period there where loads of mortgage products were being withdrawn from the market people who had offers were getting them taken away from them again what did that uncertainty around mortgages do to the market 
Yeah, that certainly was a, uh, an eventful time. And you had, I, I suppose, as the background to all of that, the, the cost of living crisis, war in Ukraine, um, inflation, all those sorts of things, which we can uh, probably touch on a bit later on uh, when we talk more about mortgages. But we saw the, the mini budget and the impact that had on the mortgage market sent lenders into a bit of a tizzy because they didn't really know where rates were going to settle and where they were going to land. And therefore, they were unable to secure what they would consider funding at what would be the right rate depending on where they were borrowing money. Now, all that means to sort of the people that are looking to, to borrow money is that because the lenders were uncertain which way the market was going, they withdrew rates at a rapid pace, which made the availability of lending very limited. That meant that the lenders that were out there needed to, to control their volumes, etc., needed to push prices up. So what you saw is rates starting to increase at uh, very high levels, especially to where they, they'd been previously, with a demand for those products and the lenders not being able to satisfy that demand. So when that sort of thing happens is lenders will withdraw rates with very little notice. And that in turn means that other lenders push their rates up to, in some respects, deter customers from borrowing with them. We have seen that settle down now, and we've started to see some stability come back to the marketplace. But definitely for a period of time, for you know, a couple of weeks or so, what that created was a, a great level of uncertainty within the mortgage market and everything that went around that. But that is settling down a bit now. Absolutely. Okay, so don't need to worry about that a bit very much either now. No, so rates actually have come down from where they peak and the availability of lending is definitely out there. So that was very much a, a, a period in time. And it would be probably fair to say that it caused a lot of uncertainty and angst amongst brokers who were trying to deal with customers and customers who were not sure where they should be heading and who they should speak to. However, in terms of timing, and it's not untypical that this time of year as we head towards Christmas, the market does tend to quietened down. So the purchase market definitely has, so people buy new property, definitely has quietened down considerably. The remortgage market, which is always active, um, has remained active. However, there's been a shift in terms of the types of products that uh, customers are buying right now based on where they feel that interest rates may be heading in, in the future. Right. Okay. So let's pick that apart a bit. So, okay, here's a pretty fundamental question, I suppose. It's a bit more medium to long term. Are we seeing the number of people applying for mortgages falling because of the rise of rates and cost of living. If you are someone that's looking to buy property, it's very much the case that the, the purchase market, the, the residential purchase market and the buy-to-let purchase market has quieted down considerably. And in fact, I've spoken to a number of sort of brokers in the last few weeks where they're, they're saying they don't anticipate actually any real inquiry numbers or actually doing much purchase business until the new year now. The, the, the market definitely has sort of quietened down now for the end of the year, which is not untypical. Seasonally, that happens but it seems to have come probably a month or two earlier than they would have expected. But the remortgage market remains buoyant with people coming off their existing rates having to do something and going on to a new, a new deal. The issue these people have had is that, one, they're going to be coming off rates, you know, their existing mortgage is lower than their new rate, and the impact on them is going to be an increased mortgage cost. That, combined with the cost of living crisis, adds more pressure to them. But equally, they're concerned that if they take the current fixed rates that are on offer at the moment, what happens if rates come down? Will they be able to to secure themselves onto a cheaper rate going forward. So what we have seen is a shift on remortgages from customers who potentially would have fixed themselves into a, a longer term fixed rate to looking now to do a discounted rate based on the on the view that they think the interest rates may peak at let's say 5%, that sort of number, but will then start to come down uh, shortly thereafter. And then hopefully they can secure themselves onto a cheaper fixed rate in a year or two's time. So do we know if the amount of extra borrowing being taken for home improvements is changing? Is that measured in any way? Because when do you remortgages, you're either just 
be mortgaging and therefore the amount you owe is the amount you owe or you would use that as an opportunity to borrow more to improve your house so is that measured can we do we know if that's going up or down it is measured it's probably too early to tell whether the impact from uh, interest rates a couple of months or so ago is in, is having a, an impact on the additional borrowing that people have so you, you're absolutely right andrew you can you can measure like for like you're going from one scheme to another and you just shift in what you already owe and, and new mortgages for the same amount but for people borrowing additional amounts of money for home improvements for say anecdotally i would suggest that that isn't increasing but that is probably quite tight right now because people will be looking at keeping a cap on their expenditure however i personally don't foresee that that will always be the case i think that the reasons why people do borrow additional money against their property will remain they just have to factor in that it's going to be more expensive than it was previously so i think there may be a short-term pause in people taking that additional borrowing but i don't anticipate that being being uh, something that will last forever you do have to bear in mind though that lenders do apply affordability measures to make sure that any additional borrowing is, is affordable by that individual and the fact is rates are higher therefore and when you factor in all other increases in costs it may be that lenders are going to be a little bit more cautious about how much additional borrowing they'll lend that person. Yes, which is quite right too, because that's how you end up in a credit crunch rather than a credit crisis. Okay, so... This is where I want you to, to reassure me here, Ian, or scare the hell out of me even more, because obviously we've got personal finance issues, cost of living, we've got wars in Ukraine, we've got lots of other factors swirling around, political upheaval and everything else. Is there anything else that we should know about that may affect mortgages and, and, and borrowing at all? What don't we know about that you, you think we should? Well, I think there's, I'm going to sort of finish off with the unprecedented times, I suppose, and just, just finish that off, because I think it's probably worth just saying that we are in unprecedented times with everything all coming together with, as you say, war in Ukraine. And the cost of living crisis that that's causing, as well as being coming back after the back end of COVID and having to pay all back that money that we owe and, and the impact therefore in inflation. So we haven't necessarily seen all those factors come together in one go. And, and, and that does therefore impact on things like interest rates and therefore mortgage rates. So we are in a, a time of uncertainty. But let's also not forget that, that we have had interest rates far higher than where they are currently. And albeit the loan sizes may be higher, therefore the impact if interest rate increases are in monetary terms is higher. We have been been there before in lots of ways and the uk is resilient people are resilient. They, people still have aspirations to move they still want will need to move for work or for additional space that sort of thing and people will still want to invest in their houses for space or improvements and although the cost of borrowing may be more expensive than it was not so long ago it isn't so prohibitive that people can't afford to to borrow and, and people will always adjust to any additional borrowing or any additional expenditure that they have so there will always be those people on the margins that that aren't necessarily in that space but equally there is a lot of people out there that still have aspirations to improve and will still borrow money to do that so i don't think it's all doom and gloom it's just that we're in an unprecedented time that we need to adjust to okay so that's got my heart rate down a little bit is what you're going to say next going to put it back up again no i don't think we put it up i think actually you'd see it more as an opportunity than a, than a threat but um, oh good so the reality one of the other big elephants in the room is is the environment and yes we have all the sort of the macro economic uh, issues around wars and, and covid and that sort of thing but we equally have the bigger problem that we burn up too much fossil fuels etc and, and one of the biggest contributors to that is UK housing stock we have an aging housing stock and in the long term the government is committed and I think most people are committed actually to improve uh, our futures going forward in terms of the environment and, and one area that we can do that is is within our homes if we own a home if we have a property there are things that we can do to improve that energy efficiency and the lenders and the government there is an opportunity there for us to 
uh, I suppose, collaborate and, and, and do things um, that I believe, and very much the mortgage market and the housing market is moving down that way. But if we're going to improve our housing stock, we need to invest in our housing stock. And therefore, it, there is the opportunity. Right. So what does that mean in terms of people's buying or selling kitchens and bathrooms? I presume it will affect the certificate your house has. How does that work? So every property has a rating. Um, and so your listeners may already have what's called a, an energy performance certificate, an EPC uh, certificate on their home. And that gives, a, that, it, that gives that property a rating. And that's rating ranges between A and G. A is a very efficient home. G is a very inefficient home. If I just give you the example of what's happening in the buy-to-let, uh, the, the rental market right now. And this is actually a precursor, I believe, to what will happen in the broader housing housing. Market. So the regulation for the rental market is such that by 2025, which is actually isn't that long away, any new rental, any new tenancy, the property has to be an energy efficiency of C. And what that means is that the landlord may need to invest in their property to include to improve the efficiency of that home. That could be a new boiler, it could be new windows, it could be new things to improve the insulation of the home. And that therefore is an opportunity for anybody that is in the business of helping people to invest in their home. So if you're invest, if you're someone that is selling bathrooms or, or kitchens or investing in bedrooms, it's always, I think, a good uh, opportunity to look around that home and just maybe ask to see the the EPC because it will tell you exactly what needs to be done in that home. It will say that the energy efficiency of the boiler isn't very good or, or the windows or whatever. And talk to that individual about what you can do to improve the efficiency of that home because not only will a you know, well-specked out and good bathroom or kitchen have a, a positive impact on the value of a home, so will the efficiency of, a, of the property too. So go back to the, the, the buy-to-let market, as I was mentioning, uh, the landlords are being, through regulation, told to improve the efficiency of their homes. As I say, new tenancies 2025, all tenancies by 2028. That, in my view, is a precursor to what, the, to what will happen in the wider residential market. And all homes will have that same regulation applied for homes that are being sold or have come to the market. Uh, in fact, all new homes being built now are under regulation to be, to be at a certain uh, energy efficiency. In order for that to happen, you need to motivate householders to invest in their homes and and by virtue of that is to release the equity they have in their home, whether they remortgage or take additional funding from their lender. But doing that in a way that the lender is able to motivate the vendor, the, the person borrowing the money, on good rates, I should say, or good terms to invest in their property because ultimately it will have a positive impact. And in fact, most buyers now are as, as much interested in the efficiency of their, of their home as they are in the bathroom and the kitchen and that sort of thing. So it's very much, we're very much starting to see a shift in buyer sentiment in terms of what they want from a new home. Yes, it's all this motivation, isn't it? It's all effectively forcing people into thinking this way when they don't really want to. Not just buy to let, but as you say, somewhere down the line, if you're just doing a house up to sell it, whatever you install in that house has got to be as efficient as possible. This is all about dealing with the fact that no one's asking for it, so you're going to have to force them to do it. And whether that is, if they want to sell a house, they've got to have the best certificate possible. But equally, and presumably, if you want the mortgage to borrow the money, even if you're not moving, this will affect it as well, as you say. So if this is big stuff, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and motivation is a really good point because you, you either do it willingly or you're forced to do it through regulation. But either way, there is some form of motivation to do there. And there will be people out there that willingly want to invest in a heat source pump but have no idea of, the way, of how to get one, what it costs, and probably more importantly, how do they raise the money to get it fitted? And the same applies probably to a lesser extent because they will know about windows and they will know about insulation in lofts and that sort of thing. But I think it's the, it's the conversation piece. And then actually, if you're living in a home, if you're going to be selling a home where you want to 
invest in your home. One, uh, cost of living crisis and you know high energy costs, in some respects, is a motivator for people to look at how efficient is my home? How can I reduce my energy costs where you can make it more efficient by insulating it? Or you can have a, a more efficient boiler where you burn less gas, all that sort of thing. Or you can reduce the drafts by putting new windows in, that sort of thing. So, so there is the opportunity where people will say, well, I can reduce my costs by investing in my property. But it always tends to come down to, but where am I going to get the money from? And if lenders start to make products which are affordable and very much focused on allowing that individual to borrow, and I keep saying on reasonable terms, because there is actually a, a benefit to the government to encourage the lenders to do this, because if the government wants to reach its net carbon zero targets by the timescales they say, then, then they need to, and the housing stock is an area where there's a big gain there for them in terms of reaching those targets, then you can encourage the lenders through subsidies or whatever, which way you want to do it, to offer rates at affordable prices for people to borrow. That's a whole different subject matter that we will delve into at some other point because that is really fascinating. But look, let's sum up here now by seeing what you think is going to happen in 2023 because this is a lot of this is about confidence, isn't it, right? A lot of this is about consumer confidence and confidence in the market and all those other things, and that is so variable. So hard to do, but what do you think is going to happen in 2023? So I think the purchase market will remain tight. If people are expecting a reduction in house prices, they may tend to put off buying their next property uh, until they see things settle down. But the remortgage market will remain buoyant because people will, uh, people first of all, are rolling off existing rates and several, therefore they need to do something. And lenders will need to lend. That's how they make their money. So they will be looking to encourage people who are not purchasing to remortgage and equally they will want to look to encourage people to not borrow to the max as we've just mentioned earlier they certainly don't want an increase in the unaffordability of loans and this sort of thing but the green agenda is is, is very much there and lenders will be looking and, and will look sympathetically to people that want to improve their property so I think that uh, although the housing market may struggle next year the remortgage market I don't think will uh, struggle as much if at all and there will still be uh, opportunities for people to borrow money to invest in their homes. So I think the landscape may be slightly different in terms of new stuff coming to the market, but in terms of existing uh, lending, I think that will still be there. Well, Ian, thank you so much for sparing us some time to help us try and understand what's going on. As always, yo, predictions are predictions, and we'll talk again in a few months' time to throw it back in your face if if you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But, But look, thank you so much, and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. That was Ian Swatton from Dashty. And you know what? I'm actually quite reassured by everything he had to say there. And isn't it interesting that sustainability and the environment is heading towards being a massive driver in the housing market, just like everywhere else? Is this the thing that will finally make the average consumer ask about it in your showroom? Let's wait and see. Also, a big thank you to our awards judges, Trevor and Sophia. Entries close this coming Thursday, November the 17th at 5pm. It's totally free to enter and all the info is at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. Good luck and I'll see you next week.